Yeah, I, I've been thinking about the humility of the Lord Jesus and how it would affect us in our lives, you know. And that beautiful song by Alison, well, that using God's gift of a beautiful voice, to me, it's what every ambition we should have to be like Christ. And just to think about it, I still have to stop thinking about it for the moment anyway. But, you know, the Lord Jesus, he came down from the glory. And there was never a man that lived such a humble life as our Lord. You know, when you come, when you come to think about what he did for us, and, and, and you're on your own, and you start to meditate on it, 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 it breaks you down. It, it, this Christianity, there's nothing like the gospel, uh, nothing like it in any of the world's religions. It's unique. It stands on its own. And just to set the scene, I've butchered my message a bit because Norma says, what does Proverbs say? How's it go, Steve? He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. So she says, so I always try time myself, you know, unless I go on a rabbit trail, you know, when I'm at home. And it was three quarters of an hour, and Norma says, that's no good in this temperature. <laughs> People don't want to sit three quarters. <laughs> so I've got it round half an hour then. So just to set the scene uh, of, of our Lord, just to help us to understand the glory that he came from, you know, uh, I'm just, don't turn to this. It's just uh, one or two verses out of Revelation chapter 5 and it says and I beheld and I heard the voice of many souls round about the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and every creature that is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are heard them uh, saying blessed and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever so that's the background and that lovely verse a lovely verse in, in uh, Romans chapter uh, not Romans Corinthians chapter 2 verse 5 uh, chapter 5, no, chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Isn't that lovely, eh? So just, uh, like I say, I, I was going to read, I, I've got one or two passages of Scripture, but I, I'm not going to read through them to because that will take more time. I'm going to take them verse by verse. But if you will turn with me to um, that lovely chapter in Isaiah, chapter 53. Chapter 53. And this chapter is very, very special because it tells us eight centuries before the event that the Lord Jesus was going to go through terrible things when he came to this earth. 
And he's just one or two verses out of that. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But not only did the Jewish nation reject him, if you just turn to John chapter 7, and so something that's quite uh, interesting, John chapter 7, and, and just read from verse 3, and note when I say his brethren, and note where I say thy disciples. There's a difference, isn't there? His brethren, therefore, oh, no, the, verse 2, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And his brethren, therefore, said unto him, that's his half-brothers, depart from here and go into Judea that thy disciples may also see the works that thou doest. There is no man that doeth anything in secret and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. And he's, he's, the, he's the verse. For neither did his brethren believe in him. His own kith and kin did not believe in him. So, Go now just to one verse in Acts chapter 1. Turn to Acts chapter 1. And look at verse 14. Well, look at verse 13. It won't read it, but it just tells you all the, all the apostles were there. They were in the upper room. They were waiting for the promise that the Lord Jesus told them when he left he said that the Holy Spirit would come and so there they were and then it reads in verse 14 these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren what's his brethren doing in a prayer meeting a prayer meeting is the last place an unbeliever wants to be the resurrection what else could it be they didn't believe in him in John 7 but they saw the resurrected Lord and that convinced. So that's a good thing to remember, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like a, a fact that the resurrection is written. Well, we know it is, but for others, whenever we're talking to them. So, yeah. So we just read a little bit more out of Isaiah. And it says, surely, I've read this many, many times over the years. You can imagine, I, I can recite it. But all is struggle on the last verse. But anyway... Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You know, he, was, he, he had 39 stripes. He was whipped. He had his beard pulled out. He was spit upon. And more, more and more. Can you believe it? And he came to suffer like that for wretches like us when we, when we compare ourselves with the Holy God. Anyway, reading on. Um, but he was... Have I read that one? Yes, I was. Uh, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was made sin for us. You know, we've, we've got that lovely verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 5.21 uh, that he became sin for us. He came down 
and be, meaning that uh, you know the iniquity of the world was laid upon him, and and he took our our punishment. And then in verse eight it says he was oppressed. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, cemetery before he Gethsemane before he, he was about to go to the cross, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Never said anything before the high priest. When the high priest accused him, accused him, you know, he said nothing. Um, even before Pilate, uh, he only said when Pilate said to him. Pilate said, uh, don't you know I have the power to release you or power to crucify you? He said, you would have no power if it wasn't from on high. And so that, that, that's a picture uh, of, of, of him keeping his mouth shut mo all, nearly all the time. Verse 8 says, and he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living that, that, that. he was killed wasn't he uh, and he was uh, and, uh, for my people and he was stricken and, and then he goes on now listen to this he made his grave with the wicked he died with two thieves didn't he and then he uh, and with the rich in his death whose, whose tomb did he, did he go in? Joseph of Arimathea a wealthy man this is written 8 centuries BC and, and, and so on, and so it goes on. Uh, because he had done no violence, nor there was any deceit found in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God's purpose was fulfilled in, in, in the Lord Jesus. He, 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 it was totally fulfilled. And that's remarkable because, you know, the humanists and the agnostics and even the atheists when, when, when they come to passages like this in the scripture they say that can't have been that's been written after the event that can't be that detailed to be true well we can prove it was written uh, before the event because when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in Cumbran I think it was called uh, up in a cave up on a rocky ledge uh, found uh, in, in uh, ceramic, big ceramic like pots and they were leather bound and much of the Old Testament was found there and uh, they found the complete book of Isaiah and they compared it with what we got here and there was no significant, you know, there was little bits nothing, nothing that would alter the main doctrine anything like that so they decided to find out how old it was so they used carbon dating and they tested it with carbon dating and they found it to be between 100 and 150 years BC. So we know that was there. Nobody can argue against that. that and that's proof, that's good for witnessing, you know, when people start saying, oh, how do you know, and all that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and so, and then there's, there's another thing. Well, I just wanted to, what I did want to say though before saying, did you know that I only found this out the other day by reading? None of the world religions have any prophecy in any of their holy writings. Not one. We can trace our Lord back from Genesis chapter 3 and right through the Old Testament. We know how he was going to come. We know where he was going to be born. Micah 5, 2 and so on. And, 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 and that, that's, that's wonderful. But they haven't got anything like that. Isn't it wonderful? Eh? This is why this is why it's a unique, a unique book. You know, it's, it is really oldie. No doubt about it. And then I've just got something. I'll have to have a drink of water, though. 
Uh, I, I've tried, Stephen, Stephen says he put cement in, but I, 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 I might spit it out when I'm talking. So I'm <laughs> but, uh, and I found something with R.A. Torrey, and I, met, and I was talking to Anne about a fortnight ago when I was reading R.A. Torrey, <coughs> and he's another proof, a real proof. And he's talking about John 19, 14. And this is what, and he was a great Bible teacher, world renowned. He reckon he won, uh, estimated he won 100,000 people across the world to the Lord because he was such a, an educated and godly man. And this is what it says Another incidental detail that is introduced in the gospel narrative and which is decisive proof of its historical accuracy is found in John 19.34. We are told that one of the soldiers pierced the side of our crucified Lord with a spear and that straightway there came out blood and water. The reason for this we are not told. In fact, the writer could not have known the reason. There is no man on earth at that time who had sufficient knowledge of physiology to have been able to tell the reason it is only centuries afterwards that the physiological re reason was discovered. The distinctive medical authority, Dr. Simpson of Edinburgh University, the discoverer of chloroform, wrote during his lifetime an able brochure in which he showed on scientific grounds that Jesus Christ died from what is called in scientific language extravasation of the blood or, in other language, a broken heart. Yeah. When, when one dies in this way, the arms are thrown out. Of course, Jesus' arms are already out, stretched on the cross. There's a loud cry, such as Jesus uttered, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The blood escapes into the pericardium and prevents the heart from beating. So his heart stops. When your heart stops, you're dead, aren't you? Anyway... There, the blood stands for a short time. It's, it separates into serum, that's water, and the red blood corpuscles, uh, they clot. And when the soldier pierced the side of the bag, the pericardium bag, the blood and water flowed out. This is a scientific explanation of the, of the recorded fact. But John did not know this explanation. No man living knew until it was proved scientifically. Now, isn't it good that the Lord's kept that for a, the scientific word, you know, oh, it's all science, we can't believe the Bible anymore, it's science. He kept it for that time, for, for people of our generation. That's, isn't that wonderful? So, you know, I, I just want to, I, I think, I, I think if I'm anything, I'm an encourager. I like to encourage people, you know. I think that's my job as a believer. I try to encourage people. And, and, and those two points there, I think they're very useful. Whenever, whenever you get up against anybody, you say, oh, you know, that's sort of how they go. Anyway, the next passage of Scripture, will you turn to John 13? Remember, we're looking at the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he, at, this, at this point, our Lord is setting the disciples an example. And you, you know, I know you know the passage, surely, yeah. Let's just read a bit of it. Let's start in verse 2. 
And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then cometh to him Simon Peter, and he saith unto him, Dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, what I, do, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And then Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now what Peter was doing now, he was grieving the Holy Spirit. He was going against the word of God. And, uh, but he had a reason for doing it, but nevertheless, that's what he did. So let's read verse 9. Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, why would he say that? I think he was feeling his sin, a sinful man. And he's like saying, Lord, if you knew what I've done with these hands, or Lord, if you know what thoughts I've been thinking, it wasn't enough to him to just wash his feet. But... Uh, there's something very, very interesting here, and my Bible footnotes are very interesting. If you've got a Schofield, and what it is, the word, looking at verse 10, Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not accept or save to wash his feet, but is entirely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. And the word washed in the Greek is the word lau, and it means bathed. And the word to wash hands and feet is the word nipto. And what the Lord Jesus was saying to him, look, Peter, you were saved. You've been born again. But when you walk through this world, your feet get dirty. You need your feet washing. And, it, and, and really, what the Lord Jesus was doing, washing uh, the disciples' feet, it was the most humble job in a big house. There'd be the lowest servant would do that, you know, have to get down and wash people's feet. And he was showing them an example. And it's touching when you think about it, how low he came to reach us. And, and then, and then the, it cultivates a picture of um, uh, a man walking in the Orient or in Palestine, walking from the public baths. And his body would be clean, but he'd have sandals and the dusty terrain, and his feet would be dirty. So when he got to his house, his feet would need washing. And that's the picture. And that's how we are. We are saved by the grace of God if we have called on the name of the Lord and meant it and repented and, and asked the Lord Jesus into our heart. We, we've, we've entered a new sphere we're not the people you used to be. You know, when I give my testimony, some of you would be quite surprised about things, but I'm not that, I'm not that person anymore. I'm different, you know. And that's, that's what the Spirit of God does. And so uh, 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 we go along through life, and we, I'll give you an example of that. Suppose today I go home and I say something unkind to Norma and hurt her feelings, 
immediately the Spirit of the Lord would leave me. I should feel it right away. I've grieved the Spirit. But the Epistle of John says, has made provision for that. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you. So what do I do? I go down on my knees and I say, Lord, I should never have said that. Please forgive me. I've grieved your spirit. Please, please come back, Holy Spirit. Please. And, and, that, and, and repent of it. And then go to Norma and, and tell her I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it. Give her a, a hug. And the spirit returns again. We're walking in the spirit again. But that's getting you... We see, we get our feet dirty, don't we, walking through this world? Because we can't be sinless. There are people, uh, the holiness movement, say that, uh, you know, we reach, they reach a plateau where they don't sin anymore. That's John Wesley's teaching. It wasn't right. No, no. Sanctification is ongoing. You, you older believers, I bet you'll think, I'll agree with this. When I was first converted, and Omar and I, we'd watch things on television, and I'd be disgusted today. If I, 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 I'd know immediately I was, I was quenching the spirit by watching it, you know, or looking at a magazine or something. We don't do. We don't watch telly anywhere, you know, at night, at night time. It's always very selective what we watch because we don't want to go to bed with thoughts that aren't Christian thoughts. We don't watch it. Uh, but you learn, you see, that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, conforming us to the image of Christ. You know, we haven't arrived, but we're, getting, we're, we're going that way. We shall never be like the Lord in this life, but we're moving towards it. And you'll, you'll know that yourself, won't you, if you've lived any, any length of time in this life, in this, this thing. So there we are. So that, that's, that's the, what I wanted to share with you there. You know, it's a lovely, a lovely picture and, and, of course, our Lord goes on in verse 11, for he knew who would betray him. He's talking about, uh, 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 what's his name, uh, Judas. And verse 12 says, so after that, he had washed their feet and taken their garments and he was seated again. He said unto them, know ye what I have done? You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And I think that's a lovely picture, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's beautiful, lovely, that is. So the Lord Jesus was showing, showing his love by example. And then, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm putting a better thing out now. Just go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. <clears throat> Just the first three or four verses of Matthew 18, from verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily, or truly, I say unto you, except ye be converted. Now, he doesn't mean, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about unless your attitude has turned round. Your attitude is wrong. So he's like, you could put it like this. Very, I say unto you, you know, unless your attitude changes, you know, be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoso ever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, we've, when we first converted, we've, 
and we've got a lot of rough edges, haven't we? And gradually the Lord starts to smooth them off as we go through life. And the disciples, that even though they were, you know, they, they were considered true believers at that point, the attitude wasn't right, was it? And the Lord was trying to bring them to conform to his image. And that's where we should be, trying, never, never being satisfied. It's like witnessing. I'm, I, I feel never satisfied with my witness. I could always, you know, I pray, Lord, make me a better witness, you know, and that sort of thing. And so, yeah. So, and then the last passage of Scripture uh, is Philippians chapter 2, that lovely, that lovely chapter there. I'm, I'm not going to uh, read it uh, particularly. I, I, I'm just going point your attention to it starting in verse 5 I, I, I can say it off my heart I've read it then many times I suppose when you've read your Bible a long time have you ever thought in a minute I think I could say that without you know anything and then just a little bit of treating and, and you've got it you know uh, but this is a lovely chapter this shows truly uh, what our Lord Jesus uh, 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 it just emphasises again how we you know it talks about him uh, in verse, uh, uh, let this mind be in you, which is also being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And I've got written in, in here, he did not consider being equal with God as something to be held on to or for forcibly grasped. His deity was something he always had. That's what, what, like a, a good way of explaining that. And then he, he just said, uh, and he made himself of no reputation, he took upon him the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I remember David Moore uh, talking about the kenosis of Christ. Can you remember? The emptying of himself. He emptied himself of much of his deity. We didn't see much of his real power. Just now and again, when he, when he calmed the storm. And they said, this man... Calming the, the, the disciples are amazed at him. How, how can anybody calm the storm? Then he walked on water. And Peter did it first, and then down he went, didn't he? All the, now the raising of Lazarus. Now he, he, he'd raised people from the dead, but Lazarus had gone four days in the tomb. Now the Jews always believed that corruption set in after the third day. And when he, 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 he said, roll the stone away, Martha said, but he stinketh. And I tried to imagine standing in that crowd, you know, and, and, and they were all amazed. And they said, in a loud voice, come forth, Lazarus. And he come bound. What a sight. Ever lightly, uh, it said later on in the text, that people came uh, to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus. Because they couldn't believe that he'd, he'd, he'd been dead that long. You know. Yeah. But uh, I'm rounding out, I'm rounding out now, uh, because the gist of what I've said about the Lord Jesus, and that lovely, lovely thing that, uh, that um, Alison sang, that should, be, that should be our aim in life. Make me like you, Lord. No, I, I can hardly say, make me like you. Oh, dear, dear, dear. That is lovely. Has ever, anybody ever lived like the Lord Jesus? He, he looked, at, I remember reading, and you've read it, I know. He was standing at the treasury one time, at the temple. And he was watching all the wealthy people putting the tithes in, and, and that was good. But they got plenty left. 
Well, he saw this little widow woman, and she put two mites in, and it said that was all her living. Don't you think God would respond to that? Eh? Would she go short? Never. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that believes in God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in, in Christ Jesus. And, you know, we've got to learn to abide in Christ. You know, we, in comparison to how much time we spend away from church, the, comparison we, the time we spend in church isn't in very much. But out there is where we practice our faith. Isn't it? Where we meet, where we come up against people who don't believe and, and so on and so on. And I've found since I've got older that um, the faculties aren't, aren't as sharp. Me, me, me eyes, uh, I'm pretty, pretty good, but you know, hearing and that sort of thing. And where, you, where it shows up most when you come to drive. You've got to have your wits about with driving. And I, for, for a year or two now, and this is what I'm talking about, practical Abiding in Christ. Before I take a journey, I, I pray, Lord, will you take Norma and I, wherever it is, Congleton, will you take us there safely, a safe journey back again? Will you help me to drive with due care and attention for all other people on the roads? And may I drive to your glory? And if I get, if I get somewhere where you don't, you, you're not familiar, and you say come to the big roundabout, there might be three lanes, and, you know, and you're not sure... And I say, Lord, don't let me do anything foolish here. I'm trusting you, Lord. Guide me through. And, and when I get through it, I say, thank you, Lord. So it's like a prayer meeting on wheels, really, you know. <laughs> and then when I get home, I park up in the guys and I say, Lord, you've done it again. Thank you. And I am a better driver. But as you get old, you think everybody drives so fast, don't you? I used to drive like that at one time. I thought, what's, what's up with them? Are they in a hurry, you know? We're, like, we're all men like that, don't we? So, yeah, so, so it's learning, isn't it? Learning to, uh, learning to, well, I like something Robert said. God bless him. He isn't very well today, Robert, Elridge Robert. And I do the same. He said, I was sitting out in my garden, he said. And I was looking up at the blue sky and the lovely white clouds. And I said, Lord, how you made such a beautiful world. And listening to the birds. And, and, and I, I do the same and just love that peace, you know. And, and, and it's abiding. We, we don't want churchianity, do we? Some people across the road, they were complaining about them, neighbours were. Uh, and saying they're always falling out. They're supposed to go to church and they're always falling out. With people. And they come to me and ask me. I said, well... Maybe they've got churchianity. That isn't, that, you know, it's habit. They only go for habit. You know, it means nothing to them. And uh, yeah, then that's it. So, uh, so you know, and then we can see. Um, uh, yeah, we've we've talked about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. I just want to finish now, just a verse from Colossians two six. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus. The Lord, so walk you in Him. It's the walk that makes the difference. It is, and every day isn't going to be easy. You know, we, might, we meet difficulties. You know, just because you believe it, you're not spared. We've lost a daughter. Norma's had two operations, but we've come. Alison's got Billy's. You know, worries about Billy, but he's all right at the moment. There's different ones in the church. Anne's had things, and Mick's had things. Well, I've just, I've just picked this little thought up here. 
We live, we live in a crowd, but we face God on our own and eternity on our own. And my urge to you, if there's anybody yet is differing about whether they pl- place their faith in the Lord Jesus, do it before it's too late. That's what I say. Who wants to stand before a holy God in, in our own flesh? We wouldn't have a chance. Would He'll see us, if we're true Christians, through the eyes of the Lord Jesus. And we shall go into glory. And isn't it nice to have a, a fellowship like this? Never had any schisms or anything. Always had unity. Trust we're all going the same way. We've got a wonderful pastor. Don't forget to pray for him daily and his family. Uh, the anointing of God is on him when he preaches, I can tell. And so we give thanks. John. All right, man.